Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage. My name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host today. What exactly did they think words were going to accomplish? Even words uttered by the brilliant Saul of Tarsus, would they be strong enough to end thousands of years of racial harm? Of systemic racism, of violence and of oppression, of bloodshed and wars. The Greeks hated the Jews and the Jews the Greeks. But if there was not a resolution to this divide, the entire Christian project was going to end before it ever began. And the weight of this burden was laid on the tent maker from Tarsus. You can imagine the sleepless nights as him and Barnabas got closer and closer to Jerusalem, hoping and praying beyond all else that they would have wisdom to be able to fix these problems. But as it would turn out, his words would not be necessary. For there was someone sitting in that room in the Jerusalem council that would change the world and change the life of Saul. His name was Agabus. Agabus, an older gentleman from the city of Jerusalem, lifelong resident, had heard and followed Jesus during his ministry on earth. In fact, he was probably one of his earliest followers, one of the original 70 mentioned in Luke. He was there throughout Jesus' miracles, his teachings. He was there at his trial on the hill of Golgotha. He was there in the upper room when after the resurrection, Jesus appeared before his apostles and disciples. He was one of the people holding the dice, rolling to determine the lots of who was going to replace Judas before they landed on Matthias. He was there when he watched the apostle Peter give his legendary sermon on the day of Pentecost. He was one of them that had the tongues of fire on his head. But out of all of those things, none of them, none of them were as important as what was about to happen. His role in the church. As Saul and Barnabas arrived, there really was no difference in the Jerusalem council. The fighting, the screaming, the yelling, the hate continued to banter on for days. But in one of these sessions, as tension was running high in the hot and crowded room, with all the leaders of this Christian movement there in tow, it wasn't Peter's voice or James's, it wasn't Saul's or Barnabas's that carried above the echoing racket, but the gentle voice of Agabus. Agabus had a vision. He said to the room that there is going to be a famine that's going to rock the whole world. A famine that has the potential to destroy everything. But a famine that's going to hurt the children of Judea more. And everyone got silent. I mean, the only reason the Jerusalem church was even functioning was because of the personal generosity of Barnabas. But their funds were running low. And there's no way they could have survived a drought and a famine. They were going to die. And this was going to be it. But it was young Saul who looked at that and saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity to end the racial divide, to once and for all unify Christianity and defend the future, the heritage of Christ. And so he decided that he was going to go on a missionary journey, three actually, in order to raise funds for the Jerusalem church to protect them from the coming famine. It was a race against the clock, a race against the odds. It was Saul trying to save a church, trying to save a religion, 
And he had all the odds stacked in his favor because the Jews hadn't exactly made a lot of friends. He was going to have to go across the world to people who despise the Jews, who the Jews themselves are racist towards, and try to convince them to save this dying church in Jerusalem. These journeys, we call the missionary journeys, was a fundraising campaign throughout the world. This journey would have watched young Saul traveling 13,388 miles. That is more distance than it takes to walk from the north to the South Pole. Costing nearly 1,513 denarii per person, which is roughly 1,513 days of wages. He was going to go and collect from all sorts of churches, Rome, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Pisidian, Antioch, Corinth, Iconium, Lystra, Cyprus, Perga, Derby, Italia, Troas, Damascus, Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and more. Church after church after church, trying to raise money to save Jerusalem. As he would go, he would teach about the gospel, utilizing his fundraising campaign to also spread the news of the kingdom of God, telling people about his story everywhere he went, even writing letters that he would send with people to help fledgling churches that he would start along the way, while also asking for money in order to save the Jerusalem church. Over the course of these missionary journeys, he began to change the minds and the hearts of people as he, a Jew, cared for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, in turn, began to care for the Jews. And every single coin that was given to this collection for Jerusalem was a symbol of reconciliation. A beautiful testimony to unity. Every single time Paul would leave a Greek-based church with a bag full of coins, it was a symbol. A symbol that something was changing. The hearts of people were changing. Everyone in Jerusalem thought the idea was ludicrous. No one thought it was going to work. (laughs) How in the world was Saul going to be able to raise enough money to save an entire church, an entire community of people from a famine when all he had to work with were Gentiles? But Saul did it. With the help of Chloe, of Phoebe, of Junia, of Aristarchus, of Secundus, of Silas, John Mark, Timothy, Silvanus, Titus, Gallius, Tychus, Trophimus, and many, many more. Sending agents all across the world through reckless missions as we talked about with Phoebe, through crazy journeys in order to raise money and bring them, until eventually he found himself with more money than he knew what to do with, heading to Jerusalem. His entire life's work, we often define him as a missionary, which is true, very true. As an author, which is very true. But his crowning achievement, what Paul did in the Jerusalem collection, was what made him different. What would be considered now millions and millions and millions of dollars he raised from people who were supposed to hate each other. By the end of it, his conversion count was some of the greatest in the world, and the reason everyone was so magnetized to this Christian movement was because of what Paul could do with this Jerusalem collection, this fundraising trip. 
Church fathers talk about the Jerusalem collection as one of the single greatest moments in church history because it symbolized that even the hate of races, of wars, of violence could be overcome by the kindness of charity. Saul managed to save the Christian movement one denarii at a time, one Greek at a time. At the years, years of these travels, he finally began to make his way back to Jerusalem alongside Timothy, Silvanus, Gallius, Tychus, Trophimus, Secundus, and Aristarchus, carrying with them bars of silver. They were easier to carry, far less likely to, to be noticeable. And along the way, they once again ran into Agabus, now a quite older man. Agabus once again had a prophecy. He tied up Paul's hands with a belt. And he said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll never make it out. This will be the end. But Paul couldn't be persuaded because this is all he ever lived for. This is all he had worked for for years. He had written countless letters that now make up our Bible, traveled tens of thousands of miles across the world, started churches that would later go on to define uh, civilizations in and of their own right. He had trained people that would go on to be church fathers, historians, great preachers, and historical figures. He had overcome thousands of years of tension and hatred. He had spread the gospel more effectively than anyone else before him and anyone who would come after he had literally single-handedly saved the Christian movement, and he wasn't about to stop now. Saul put his hand on the now withered Agabus's cheek and carried on his way to Jerusalem in a journey that would not only end his travels, but also his life. See what's amazing about this story? is that we often think of Paul as a theological thinker, as a teacher, which he was. But his entire life was this Jerusalem collection, a series of actions of charity and generosity, of giving to the poor and caring for the marginalized. In many ways, it's his kindness, his hospitality, his charity, his desire to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. His love for people, regardless of who they are, it is these things that make up Paul's legacy. These things that shape our heritage. We've been with Paul for so long now, but I want to end us here as he is walking with his head held high into a city that eventually would lead to him in captivity in Rome and losing his head to a sword. As he's walking into these streets with his head held high, he carries with him the hopes and the dreams of Christ, the hopes and the dreams of this fledgling Christian revolution in the form of silver bars. This money would go on to save not only the Jerusalem church, but Jerusalem, the city, as it would be paid and handed to everyone without regard. It would later go down in history that the church in Jerusalem became one of the most generous feeding, housing, and caring not only for those inside the borders of Jerusalem, inside their walls, but throughout Galilee and Judea. This famine would come, but it couldn't crush the Christian spirit. 
because it couldn't crush what Paul had left. This is our heritage, a heritage of generosity, of protecting those who are hurting, of giving without thought to ourselves, and changing the world. <laughs>